You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this week, Will Miles, as always. You can find him at readandreaction.com and his and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. And Nick Newton back joining us here from American Football Stories and Read and Reaction as well. Gentlemen, I hope you uh, will. We'll start with you, but man, I hope you had a, a very nice Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was rainy up here in Philadelphia in like 40 degrees. So whenever you tur- got to turn the heat on during Memorial Day weekend, I don't know. It, it, for, some <laughs> of the, for some of you all who live in Florida, you're probably a little bit jealous because, you know, it's it's about to turn into that season in June and July where uh, it's pretty miserable and it's raining every day down there. But, uh, yeah, so it was a good weekend. It's always good to have those three days. Good to sort of be able to relax and and, and hang out. And really, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the beginning of baseball season from a playoff perspective. So out there cleaning the fields, making sure they're dry, throwing diamond dry on those things all weekend long. So it was fun, though. Baseball season for uh, for your kids. Yeah, absolutely. So those my <laughs> son, especially my nine-year-old's obsessed. So we're out there all the time chucking the ball around and out at the cages. So I have a bunch of waterlogged baseballs to prove it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, uh, man, it's been a while. Of course, you joined us uh, back earlier uh, in the spring uh, or mm-hmm. not soon after the season was over. But uh, welcome back. Thanks for the invite, Dave. Uh, solid Memorial Day on my end. Just pretty classic uh, grill and spent a bunch of hours in the pool. So a so- solid weekend uh, over here. Yeah, that's what I did Saturday and then under the weather Sunday and Monday. So uh, I, I, got, I got plenty in on Saturday, though, to make up to make up for Sunday, Monday. So uh, all, all good on that end. But, gentlemen, uh, we are talking this episode, and Will and I had discussed this episode a couple weeks ago. I was like, you know, look, there's really no pressure on Dan Mullen. So – I didn't want to create, you know, a, a storyline or a headline just for the sake of it. I was like, there's no, there's no real pressure uh, on Dan Mullen for the 2021 season, but how can we approach that? Will was like, oh, pressure points. That's what we can do. So, uh, yeah, there's be pressure points looking toward the 2021 season uh, and, you know, what that means for the future. It could be good, could be bad, but there are 
I think, aspects of 2021 in this team that we could look at that can create some pressure or set up for a pretty good future uh, for, for, for Dan Mullen. But also, guys, uh, today we didn't know we'd be able to discuss uh, new contracts. So uh, a lot of headlines there uh, made throughout uh, Gator Nation, but uh, plenty, plenty uh, to discuss. We'll get into it. We'll get into uh, all that. But uh, one more thing before we get started. Big shout out to the uh, Gators Breakdown Plus Discord chat. That thing is on fire. Uh, so everybody, if you want to join Gators Breakdown Plus, you heard the uh, ad before this episode. About three dollars a month. Just look it up. Uh, Gators Breakdown dot supporting dot fm starts at three dollars a month. That chat there. Everybody who's in there knows who, who you are. Keeping that chat on fire. It's a lot of fun. Talk of football with a lot of you Gator fans. Uh, out there. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com or your favorite podcast platform. If you're on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out, helps people find Gators Breakdown and all the good storylines we get to discuss all summer long heading in to the football season. So, guys, let's get into topic of the day Dan Mullen's contract. And he'll receive a raise and have his contract extended through the 2026-27 football season. Was originally scheduled to expire the 2023-24 season. Then Mullen said, we are very excited about the future of the Florida football program. And this agreement allows us to continue to build on the success we have enjoyed on and off the field. We want to thank the UAA board, President Fox, Director of Athletics Scott Strickland, and the entire University of Florida community for their support. This raise will bring us total average pay over six years from 6.1 to 7.6 million, including a $500,000 signing bonus this year. Bonus portion of his contract was suspended last year due to the pandemic. Scott Strickland says Dan has done a tremendous job in his three seasons at Florida. We are fortunate to have someone with his obvious talents and head coaching experience leading our football program. I look forward to working alongside him to support his vision for Gators football and our student athletes for many years. Here's the big takeaway from this, guys. This makes Dan Mullen the fifth highest paid coach in college football behind Jim Harbaugh, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, Ed Orgeron, and Nick Saban. There's your top five. That was one big takeaway. We'll have to get this out of the way. I saw a lot on Twitter. I've seen it in the YouTube chat as well. Why now? Why was it announced now? This was done last year. Uh, and Florida did not feel right of putting it out during a pandemic COVID year of, hey, we're giving all this money to a football coach now when everybody's out there doesn't know what the future holds uh, out there. We've kind of discussed that here uh, on the podcast before. This is nothing new, uh, but Florida kind of maybe doing their due diligence and just waiting uh, to announce Dan Mullen was going to get this extension after the first two years, put on hold, earmarked, uh, about a year later for 2021 and the announcements in, but uh, a lot to take away from there, Will. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently this actually got announced because of some Freedom of Information Act requests from the media out yeah. there, um, which is which is why they were able to sort of bury the lead with Dan Mullen's extension coming right on top of Mike White's extension. So at least that sort of yeah, split the news of Mike White because most people are yeah, like, okay, Mullen ready. got extended. That's great. But White getting extended, eh, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that one. Uh, my initial thoughts are, wow, I should have been a football coach, $7.6 million per year. Um, but I, I think this makes sense on a bunch of levels, right? So having a four-year window is important for recruits. Seeing Mullen signed until 2026 gives me some confidence that he's going to be at Florida long-term. I think it's important for Mullen. I mean, he's making more than just about all – I think more than – 
everybody but 11 NFL head coaches, which means, you know, all the talk about NFL interest over the offseason, that sort of stuff. This extension really makes it financially beneficial for him to stay in college because he's probably not going to jump into the top third of head coaches from a compensation perspective in the NFL. And so he's not going to jump because of money at that point. And, you know, this makes it a little bit harder financially if Florida wishes to let him go, but it's it's not impossible. And it's really rewarding a guy who's delivered the best three-season stretch in Gators football since Urban Meyer was on the sidelines. And so, you know, anybody who's questioning this, I think, is sort of looking at it through the LSU game um, last year, the Alabama game, the Oklahoma game, the way the season ended. But, you know, Doug Nussmeyer's not calling plays on the sideline anymore, and I'm extraordinarily thankful for that. And Dan Mullen's a big part of that. And if it costs an extra, you know, $1.5 million to make sure that we don't have an offense like that on the field again, I'm, I'm all for it. Nick, I'm glad Will said that, maybe looking through the LSU lens, end-of-season lens there, because that was something uh, – there was a conversation on Twitter there that I had, and somebody started listing an SEC coach's ranking. He was like, I'm not even sure Dan Mullen's in the top six or seven. I was like, oh, oh, hold on now. I was like, I'm disappointed with the end of 2020, but let's not let those last few games kind of cloud our judgment of what's going on here. Yeah, big Sam Pittman guy, I guess, if he's he's not pulling <laughs> down the stick spot or something. But, I, hey, look, I think Mullen has almost been as much as this fan. I, I love this fan base, and it's extremely passionate. Uh, uh, you know, we, we expect to score 50 and, and shut people out. Like, we want the best at, at the University of Florida, and we're starving for a title. It's been a, quite a while, but – there was a lost decade in between when Dan Mullen stepped in here in 2018. I mean, and this program, we're back to being annoyed that we're not winning the SEC again. And, and on a serious level, where with McElwain, it was almost astonishing that we somehow won the East in those years. It wasn't like the those teams weren't fantastic, and you didn't have heavy expectations heading into those games in Atlanta. With, with Mullen's teams – He's put us back on the map where we're legitimately contending. And it, what, it didn't take till year three where he had a breakthrough. It was from day one he stepped in. And granted, there are some frustrations with the Mullen era, the ups and downs. We're talking about some of those pressure points today. But I think Mullen deserves this extension. I think it's a good message to send. You heard some of that with the NFL chatter last year. Who knows how much of it was true and how much of it wasn't. But part of the frustration on Mullen's half was that they weren't getting a deal done for him to extend. But I, I think, like, if this could put some of the NFL talk to bed for the next couple of years and really focus on some of the weak points of the program right now, really get delivering those high-end recruits. I know that's something you guys talk about a lot on this show. And, and the, the minor adjustments that need to be made to take the program to the next level, I, I'm all for it, and I think it's well-deserved at this point. Yes, well, kind of extending that. No surprise to me that it was announced today with – recruiting dead period in and all these recruits are on campus these mm-hmm. next few days. I think that was purposely, uh, you know, as Will said, it was requested uh, that these contracts be released. It was signed back in May, but I don't think it was by a coincidence that it was announced today as, as recruits are on campus, making their way to campus this all this, these next few days, next couple weekends as well for the first time in a year. As I said, I'll go back. This was, this was determined a year ago after Dan Mullen's first two successful seasons that he was going to get an extension, been delayed, just now announced a year later. So, didn't they I delay think, the uh, NCA violation announcements, Dave, last year? Wasn't yeah. that like a whole thing where it was buried? Like the leak proof system that Scott Strickland seems to have built within his life department is pretty incredible. Some politicians need yeah, to give him a I mean, call about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the whole that whole NCAA thing with Mullen, it was announced with Jimbo, which is this, it's the same exact scenario. I think a couple months before. So the uh, yeah, that that is kind of funny there. How Florida is being pretty putting a lock on things they want to put a lock on for a certain amount of time before before they release it. But uh, but yeah, I, I just the whole. I don't understand why it got it. That kind of that kind of does rub me wrong. I completely see why, especially government going back to a year ago when it was really a decided that he was going to get the extension of why it was there. So you know we'll see. Uh, I think it's a good move. Uh, the the NFL talk as as Will brought up a good point. I didn't know that about the uh, NFL contracts. Will where where it would rank in NFL uh, money wise for Dan Mullen. Yeah, I mean, so a couple things. One is Matt Hayes is probably really disappointed this extension came along because he's been <laughs> one of the guys who's sort of been reporting on the grumbling within the program um, about Mullen. But the other thing is, is that, you know, because of some of the quirkiness of Mullen, there are some people who look at it and say they want somebody who is um, more stately, maybe in that in that role at the, at the head. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Nick said it best. We're actually – the expectations are that we're going to compete for an SEC championship. And, and you know, those expectations may not be on a yearly basis, but it's at least the expectations for this program uh, that just weren't there when Will Muschamp was there and weren't there when, when Jim McElwain was there. We were hoping we'd have the ability to compete, but that wasn't an expectation. Now it's an expectation. And, you know, the, the question that people ask whenever, or at least that they should ask whenever you talk about replacing a head coach is who are you going to go get? And there aren't a whole lot of guys you're going to be able to get who are better than Dan Mullen. Does he have some warts? Absolutely. Are there things we think he could do better? I think you know, some of the timeout usage in the Alabama game is something that I hope he improves on and thinks about and decides to get better. I think the recruiting obviously is something we harp on a lot and something that can improve. Um, but at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy who on every list is listed in the top 10 coaches of college football. The fact that he's being paid like a top five coach really just makes it clear to your recruits that this guy's going to be there for the next four years and, you know, you should have a, a long runway to commit. Yeah, and after yeah. watching no offense for the better part of a decade, it's been a blast watching Gator football again, and uh, Rick Gilbert can have fun with his three targets per game up in Athens for the next year. <laughs> I was wondering how long it was going to take to get the shot in. No, not long. 14 minutes <laughs> into the episode. There we go. <laughs> Oh man, um, but yeah, I mean, Dan Mullen's done about you know, g even given the disappointing end of 2020, has done about everything asked so far through his three years. That's counting the disappointing 2020. I know how disappointing it was. It was very disappointing for me as well. We'll see what the future holds there, but it does send a message that uh, Scott Strickland believes that the future strong uh, with Dan Mullen. And we'll get into the future uh, a bit here and transitioning to the theme uh, of this episode here of pressure points for the 2021 season. These pressure points can um, either be a detriment as Florida moves forward or, you know, it can be it can set up uh, for, for a future here. So, guys, I think uh, – the big one here, and I think where we should start, I think it was number one on everybody's mind. I even see it in the YouTube chat right now. Todd Grantham's name. Todd Grantham's name is brought up over and over and over again. That, to me, is pressure point number one. Deciding to bring back Todd Grantham and what that means for the 2021 defense. Who knows? They're going to be better. There's no way they can be worse. I know we said that about the Florida offense for years, and they found a way to be worse. But I don't see that happening again uh, with, with the Florida defense. So uh, we'll start there. 
that's pressure point number one. And because there is a there is some pressure there of hey, Demo, this is your decision. You you, you decided to bring back Todd Grantham for one more season after giving the historical ugliness that we saw that defense put on the field in 2020. And you know, a lot of people go back and say, hey, it it it, it, it held Florida down. It, Florida had a chance for a championship. They had the offense for it. The defense was not there. It held Florida back from a championship, giving up historical point totals, yard totals, holding Florida back from so much more. And you would have not batted an eye had Dan Mullen made the move to get rid of Todd Grantham. I don't think anybody would have batted that eye. Look, I was on the Grantham train. I even We said it many times going into the last season. I thought this had to – chance to be Todd Grantham's best defense of Florida. Imagine how disappointed I was <laughs> in seeing that defense rolled out in the field week after week after I thought that could be possibly the best defense he had with his recruits. All those athletes that I thought were coming back, had experience, the young athletes that I thought would get more playing time on the field. I thought it was a really good mix of talent, and then we saw what, where, where, how that ended up. So now we go into 2021, you get two games to kind of warm up before the Alabama game, look, th- those two games are not going to matter anything in Gator Nation's eyes. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if Florida wins those first two games, forty-nine to nothing. It's all going to matter when Alabama rolls into town week three. Because go back to Grantham in twenty eighteen, or go back to Grantham in 2019, 2020, throw that out the window because it was all bad. But in eighteen and nineteen, it was all right. The defense is there, but they're missing those big games. They're missing those big opportunities. Your big game is week three coming up this season, Will. Yeah, I mean, the Grantham thing is interesting. I mean, I think we all raised our eyebrows when when Mullen kept him. Um, the loyalty is admirable, but I think the loyalty also – the pressure point here is that there's enough vitriol already that if the that you start doubting the decision making process if things don't get better, right? That that and and I'm sure that the defense is going to get better in 2021. Like you said, it can't get worse. At the same time, if it doesn't, or if Grantham continues to struggle in games against elite level talent, which was the which was the criticism in 18 and 19, was against LSU, against Georgia, against you know te- against teams that had quarterbacks who were experienced when they couldn't get pressure, the defense just got picked apart. If that happens again in 2021. Well, now you've got people. You're going to get some division. You're going to cause a fissure in the fan base, really, when it comes to people, people's confidence. You're, you can already feel it a little bit, just because there were people who were so anti Grantham that they've sort of started to really look at look at Mullen a little bit side eye. And you know, again, I think based on what he's done over the last three years, um, that's not necessarily warranted. At the same time, keeping Grantham after a year like last year is. Uh, you know, because a year like that is possible, then it means that Mullen can put together the best offense in the world, and Florida may still struggle to win the championship. I think we are all we all have confidence that he's going to be able to put together an offense that's championship level, but he's going to have to have the defense to match it. And you know, even when Grantham came, my initial thoughts on him were he's all right, he's not a difference maker. And even in eighteen and nineteen, that was still my impression. Yeah, they got a lot of sacks. Yeah, they caused a lot of havoc against the Kentuckys and the Vanderbilts of the world. But when it came time to get pressure against LSU or when it came time to get pressure against Georgia, Florida just wasn't able to do it. And so that's really the thing that I think uh, for Grantham especially is the thing that people are looking for. So you point to the Alabama game. Yeah, they need to get pressure, right? Alabama has a bunch of guys on the offensive line who are highly rated. 
and Florida's going to have to get by them. And if they just get stoned or if they get blown back and can't stop the run, or or if Alabama's quarterback has all sorts of time to pick and choose and just sort of pick the defense apart, well, I mean, yeah, that falls on Grantham because he's responsible for the recruiting. He's responsible for, this, for the scheme. And then that ultimately falls on Dan Mullen because he's the one who decided to keep Grantham there this year. Nick, we've asked this question before here on the podcast. Is there is there any saving grace for bringing Todd Grantham back? Well, if you phrase it that way, it's a lot more difficult to answer. But I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> this is where I, I, I came on when I was on in January. We were talking about Grantham. And I said the unforgivable part for me is that this defense, if they just had to be okay, and you're probably winning uh, at least an SEC title, maybe a national title, it, they were so horrible across the board. And there were games where you just felt like this defense – was just helpless. I mean, that first the first half of the Alabama game, for example, granted the team dug deep. They had a nice second half, uh, and it was ended up being a fun game to watch. But there were times last year where you just were like, I've never felt that way watching Florida football. Even in some of our rougher seasons, the defense has always been okay. But we're six months removed from that, right? Where we got room to breathe, room to think about it. And it's not the man's first year. It wasn't the man's first year at Florida in 2020. It was his third season. In the first two seasons, he comes in with a defense that's not his and just you know picking up the pieces from someone else. And he puts in a, basically a middle-of-the-road defense in most statistical categories, the major statistical categories. But in 2019, they were second in every category. I'm talking about total yards, uh, total yards, total pass yards, rush yards, and points per game. Like They were second place in most of those categories except for pass yards. They were fifth in the conference. And, and, and I think that's something – that speaks to you saw major improvements, especially in the rush yards allowed uh, from 2018 to 2019. And I think last year was a, 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 the whole the whole stew. What well, didn't like add up last year? It just didn't work last year. And I'll, I'll tell you, Dave, they gave up 30.8 per, points per game, which was eighth in the conference. So kind of middle of the pack of a 14 conference, 14 team conference, right? But that was up from 14.4 in 2019 and 20.4 his first year. But I'll say this too. You got to look across the board. What happened in 2020? You couldn't hit. So in 2018 and in 2019, only two teams gave up more like each year, two teams in 2018, two teams in 2019 gave up more than an average of 30 points per game. Last year in 2020, eight SEC teams gave up more than an average of 30 points per game. So what's the common thread there? No no hitting in the, in the offseason. Right? You know, I mean, it's, a lot of things went wrong, but they still were second in the conference in sacks, and they were in the middle of the pack with interceptions with eight. But we usually see those number, at least the interception number, a little higher with this defense. So when you talk about there's nowhere to go but up, I don't think you're just being a, a homer crossing your fingers and hoping here. Really, there is almost nowhere to go but up in all of these categories next year. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the of course, the question is how far up and how far mm-hmm. up will be good enough. I mean, this, uh, that's according to what the offense does as well on the other side of the ball. You, you know, if, if the offense can keep pace, and I, we're not, say, I'm not expecting a 2020 pace, but if the offense is still good, staying on the field, converting third downs, and they're on the field – this defense takes it a step forward, then you can expect a, you know, a, a nice pairing on both sides of the ball that can really, really help this team. So I don't think they have to go out there and be a top 10 defense. Uh, I, I think that's kind of, put this way, no team really makes that jump. Uh, and look, maybe 2020 was just some outlier and some weird season that we do see some kind of jump like that. And 
Florida turned rebounds and, and that defense is there. But go 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 to Will's point a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's worth bringing up again. I think we all expect in some kind of way this is Todd Grantham's final season of Florida, whether it be he have enough success and he finds another job or it doesn't work out and they go ahead and make that move. He's in the final year of his contract. Look, all these contracts got announced today. Todd Grantham's name wasn't on one of them. Well, and the good news is, is that Florida clearly has enough money that if they decide they want to make a separation, they can make that happen, right? I, no, I mean, nobody's coming to Florida because of Todd Grantham, really, when it comes down to the recruiting pitch, right? The pitch is Mullen, the pitch is offense, the pitch is the consistency of the program, the pitch is, you know, returning to the glory of Urban Meyer and those sorts of things, if you want to sell it that way. Um, I, I think that was Yeoman's work by Nick there, trying to make the case for Grantham being able to bounce back. I mean, he's going to bounce back some, just from the standpoint of, I think they're going to have more bodies. Like all the practice that they've had in the spring, that there's going to be an option if people struggle like they did last year. It didn't feel like they had any options when, especially the cornerbacks were struggling. But you know, again, it sort of boils down to the defensive tackles are the key to his offense or the key to his defense. So bringing in Shelton, bringing in Newkirk, a real step up from Dexter. Those are going to be the things that are keys to being able to free up those linebackers to roam. And last year, the defensive tackles really weren't able to hold up well enough. The linebackers got mauled and that left the defensive backs in a, in a compromised situation. And it wasn't just against, you know, Alabama and Georgia last year where that happened. It was against Vanderbilt. It was against Missouri. It was in it was in those games where that you really shouldn't get beaten up front. They were getting beaten up front. They were struggling to line up. I mean, obviously that's something that you look at and say the other programs aren't having that issue. Why is this program having that issue? So I mean again, I, I understand why people were frustrated with Grantham, but I think the point that point they make, Dave, is great, which is that you know, if Florida's defense improves and is top twenty, top thirty, Grantham's going to have a job someplace else as a head coach, probably. And and if Florida struggles, then they'll be able to move on after the season. So, um, the only thing, again, the, the only thing I really worry about with Grantham is if Florida goes out, gives up forty five points to Alabama in the swamp. Um, you know that that then sort of the the stink that's attached to Grantham right now within the fan base may start transferring over to Mullen, and that's something that he's got to watch out for. I think to Will's point there, Dave, also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm throwing out stats and totals and everything, but if you hold Vanderbilt to 220 yards and what are you giving up against LSU? Are, you, are we giving up 600 plus yards in that LSU game? So that the matchups do matter as well. Um, just looking for some optimism. That's all. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of it goes back to Grantham's history as well. I mean, everybody remembers this time at Georgia because Florida played them every year. And you had a good, steady defense from 2010 to 2012. That 2012 defense was really good. Carried Georgia all the way to the SEC championship game, almost the upset of Alabama uh, that year, and then completely fell off the face of the earth in 2013. So, And it's like we're seeing the same thing at Florida. It's a good start, and then for whatever reason, he gets his players in, players with more experience in his defense, and – inexplicably the defense gets worse so <laughs> it's a, i think i think that's a lot of the worry there you're bringing back a coach who has a track record of where he's been for whatever reason it gets worse and then you had an absolute worst of a season that you could possibly have on defense and you bring him back anyway so 
that's one pressure point, I think, and probably the one we should start with because that seems to be the hottest topic uh, for, for the Gators and a place to improve and what actually happened in bringing back uh, the defensive coordinator that was responsible uh, for that. So, guys, I think uh, next pressure point we should probably start with, and that's, look, this is Dan Mullen's roster. All these draft picks that Florida has sent to the NFL these past few years, besides Kyle Pitts, Jim McElwain players. You know, and look, Dan Mullen gets a whole lot of credit for getting the highest drafted tight end ever <laughs> to, to, to go in the NFL draft. And everybody else, all those receivers that we love to, to, to laud and give uh, this team a whole lot of credit for, Jim McElwain's players. So this is his team. This is this is a team built in Dan Mullen's image through recruiting uh, the, these last few years and, and, and now cycling through Jim McElwain's players that you had a lot of success with. One pressure point is, look, now these are your players, and specifically at quarterback. This is Emory Jones, the first quarterback you signed in your first class. This is the quarterback that you handpicked in your first recruiting class that is you know, going to be that now the quarterback that's going to lead the way after going from Felipe Franks to Kyle Trask and now Kyle Trask to Emory Jones. And on that topic, you know, a lot of people say Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen got lucky in a way with Felipe Franks going down and Kyle Trask being unearthed and going – and being the Heisman Trophy finalist in 2020. Uh, that's, I think, something worth pointing up when we talk about Dan Mullen's roster, his quarterbacks is, you know, what happened of Felipe Franks going down and Kyle Trask? Why wasn't Kyle Trask in there to begin with? So I think that is kind of one pressure point to, to bring up. It is his roster, and specifically at the quarterback position, Will, this is your quarterback handpicked to lead the team. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and and Corral, Matt Corral, who wound up at Ole Miss, oh, was yeah. the guy who was committed to Florida when he came in. And we've already seen Corral have a big year last year. Um, I actually think Corral had one of the better years last year, other than his game against Arkansas, um, of any quarterback in the country. And so that's what Emory Jones is going to be compared with. At least that's who I'll be comparing him with. They, those guys are the same class. You got Lane Kiffin on one side, you got Dan Mullen on the other, and you can start looking at those guys and saying, how do they compare? Um you know, the other thing is that the offense is going to change to meet the personnel that Mullen has brought in. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to do that. I mean, I don't think even Dan Mullen suspected that in 2019 when Felipe Franks went down, that he was going to find a guy who could play as well as Kyle Trask did. I mean, I think he, he clearly saw that Trask won the battle in camp. And I think we all sort of saw Trask came in and took that as a negative to Emory Jones. But it turns out Kyle Trask is a really good quarterback, right? And so maybe that's not a negative for Emory Jones. Maybe it's that Kyle Trask was so good they couldn't keep him on the bench anymore. And and Emory Jones then just had to sit and wait and wait his turn. And we've seen his ability to throw downfield. He certainly has a, an arm that and, and seems to be pretty accurate on those downfield throws. I think the intermediate throws are the area where he still sort of has to prove that he can be accurate enough to really move the ball downfield consistently, but he's proven that he can run the ball. And and even when the defense knows he's running the ball, that he can gain yards. And so it's going to be a very different offense. But like you said, it's going to be Dan Mullen's offense. I mean, it's really going to be his offense with his handpicked players and his handpicked offensive line, right? These are going to be guys you, you no longer have Stone Forsyth. You no longer have Brett Heggie. Now you're looking at Garage. You're looking at White. You're looking at um, Reese and DeLance. Those are guys who really are Mullen guys. And we'll see. We'll see what they're able to do. Nick, we'll get into the offensive line for the next pressure point. But uh, we were talking behind the scenes, and uh, you brought up something uh, interesting in looking at Mullen's roster and something I could have brought up right then, but I, was, uh, I, w- I didn't want to take your glory away. <laughs> um, I, I, to, to me, what, what point are you talking about specifically here, Dave? No, the transfers. 
Oh, tra- oh, right. Tra- well, of course, you got the transfers uh, on on the roster in general are a big deal. But in terms of the quarterback position here with, with uh, Emory Jones uh, coming in for his first year, the one thing that's going to be interesting uh, to see added back to Mullen's offense is the running game with the quarterback. And we saw that at Mississippi State. Guys, like since he's come to Florida – Gator quarterbacks, and of course, two of his years have been primarily with Kyle Trask. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But Florida quarterbacks have rushed for a total of 408 yards and 14 touchdowns. The lowest total of rushing yards at Mississippi State yet, like in the last five years at Mississippi State with Dak and Fitzgerald, was 588. And that was Dak's sen- like, uh, senior year where they're protecting him a little bit. But other than that, the quarterbacks in his offense were up closer to a thousand yards. Fitzgerald rushed for 1300 yards, almost 1400 yards and 16 touchdowns in 2016. So you're going to see that we saw 43 uh, passing TDs out of Trask uh, last year with, with three rushing TDs for a total of 46. I, I think Emory could get up toward that 40 range when you factor in how many rushing yards and rushing TDs he's going to have in this offense. I'm thinking, 30, 30 passing, 10 rushing. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and that's honestly like where most of his quarterbacks are closer. to. It's mostly the 25 mark uh, in TDs for passing, like around the 20 to – like I mean, Fitzgerald had 15 his last year uh, at Mississippi State, but you see Franks at 24, Trask at 25 that first year. So I think if you, if you saw like a 25-15 split, uh, I think that you'd see an offense that's still uh, cooking at a pretty high level. Guys, do you think we could see that used against Mullen? I mean, look, this team is losing a lot of talent. They're losing a transcendent quarterback. They're losing a transcendent Kyle Pitts. They're losing Kadarius Tony, who burst onto the scene in 2020. Could could he get judged too harshly that, all right, this is your team and it's not a team that's winning the East or it's not a team that's beating Georgia? I mean, if this team goes 9-3 and three or 8-4, and four, how, how much would we see – I think the fan base out there, maybe even from, from from us as well, saying, hey, why could you do it with Jim McElwain players but not your own? Yeah, I don't think you're going to hear that from me. I've been saying pretty much since the Oklahoma game that this is a rebuilding year, and, and I believe that, right? I believe that there are um, reasons to believe that the defense, while young, still probably needs some time to develop. I think, again, Emory Jones, because he hasn't gotten a, a large opportunity to be in there and play, because they're playing Alabama this year, and so you've got that early game where let's let's be honest, Florida is not going to be favored in that game. I mean, maybe they pull it off, but they're not going to be favored. And and then yeah, you've I mean, got George. Plays a part in that too. What's that? Yeah, ske- schedule plays a part in that too. Absolutely. I mean, the reason people picked Florida in the East last year wasn't because they thought Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask was going to win the Heisman. The reason they picked Florida is because Georgia had to play Alabama, and they figured that. that and they looked at Florida's schedule and said mm, that one's going to be pretty easy. Not really thinking that Texas A and M was going to be as good as they were, but obviously also not thinking LSU was going to be as bad as they were. Um, well, really, so this year, you still- at that point, it was Georgia has to play Alabama and will probably lose. They'll probably lose to Florida as well. So Florida had a built-in two-game advantage right there. Yep, and then the loss to LSU meant they won on tiebreakers. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, you know, I, I think 
it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, it's always it's always a question of expectations, right? If the expectation is, is that they're going to have a top 20 offense, a top 20 defense, and be competing and competing for the SEC, I think you're likely to be disappointed. Are there scenarios where that happens? Probably. But I think it's more likely that they end up behind Georgia in the East. I think it's more likely that – I, I think a 9-3 and three season is a lot more likely than a 12-1 and one season. And so it's a question of expectations. And when I say re- rebuilding, I don't mean they're going to go four and eight. I mean, you know, you're looking at eight and four, nine and five. You know, th- you're looking at or nine and three. You're looking at at uh, you know records that are good but not great as you sort of work through the kinks for some of the younger guys who are coming in from Mullen's recruiting classes. And that doesn't mean that he's not capable of bringing in good talent. In fact, he's upgraded the talent at Florida over Jim McElwain. As much as we harp on recruiting because it's not as good as Georgia and Alabama. It's been better than Jim McElwain. He's raised the overall bar of talent at Florida, particularly when you factor in the transfers. So could he hit lightning in a bottle where Emory Jones plays really, really, really well and DeMarcus Bowman turns into a star or Lorenzo Lingard turns into a star and the offense is unstoppable, the defense improves, and all of a sudden you're beating George again? Sure. But if you were to tell – but that's one of the things about the Florida team. In fact, if you look at the betting odds, you really see this, is that there's a large amount of variance – in between where people think Florida is. I think most betting sites have them as like the fourth best team in the SEC, but the over under and wins is somewhere around the eight or nine mark, which tells you that's kind of what the expectation is. Somewhere between eight and nine wins is the expectation. If he wins 10, we should say, Hey, he exceeded expectations. And then obviously if they go seven and five, then, then maybe there's, there's some valid criticism there. Yeah. Nick and the will brought up a good point and something I wanted to bring up. And I had a conversation today and Looking at 24-7 sports, team talent composite, and how big of we talk on recruiting, Florida's overall talent is higher. It's higher than it is in than it was in 2020. 2021 overall talent composite is higher than it was in 2020. But you have to factor that in with developed players and experienced players, especially especially what you had at the quarterback position. Yeah, and I look at – I think, you know, we're going to talk about the offensive line shortly, but, I mean, that's one position group where – not a lot of guys beyond their sophomore year on on that line right now. And I think that Mullen, especially on the offensive side, you've just seen a huge difference. Dave, you, you and I, you did mention the transfers here where we talked about there have been some high-level transfers to come in to this program that even though like there's been a couple that were waiting for them to really break out and excel, there's been that uh, a couple guys, uh, you referenced Van Jefferson, John Grenard. There's been a couple guys that Mullen's really hit on too. So – this roster overall, I, I, I doesn't surprise me that to that they would be considered more talented uh, overall heading into 2020 just because of what happened with the defense last year, especially up the middle on the defensive side. I, I think that there was a lot of uh, uh, discord with uh, – it, it just never seemed to get connected. It was never all connected at the same time. And uh, injuries were – we had some untimely injuries on a couple different things too. I think the defensive side – is if they can raise that play to the middle level, I think you're still going to see a pretty elite offense in the SEC, uh, uh, despite breaking in Emory Jones as, as the new quarterback, despite breaking in some new offensive line uh, starters this year. And uh, really a lot of talent. Uh, like we got guys that need to prove themselves out, out wide, even though we believe in the talent, they haven't necessarily put up the numbers. But you saw a guy like Kadarius Tony, like, Guys can pop on this roster real quick. Kadarius Tony, I don't think we thought he was going to have the type of season he had in 2020 before, uh, before the first game against Ole Miss. Yeah. yeah the other thing. Well, go ahead, Bill. 
Well, the other thing I was going to say is that from the standpoint of the offensive um, offensive firepower, you're losing Brian Johnson too. And so you're losing a guy who's been the quarterback coach there at Florida and was really given and then was promoted to offensive coordinator and was given a lot of autonomy. And I know it's Dan Mullen's offense, and I know that makes a difference. At the same time, for him to trust somebody enough to make them the offensive coordinator really says something about how highly he thought of for Brian Johnson. I know that when you talk to the different players or when you listen to what they've said about Brian Johnson, that was somebody that they really respected, somebody they really appreciated, somebody who probably dealt with some of the the uh, aggressive coaching that Dan Mullen has with quarterbacks and was able to be sort of a counterweight to the, to the criticism that were coming their way. It'll be interesting to see how the new dynamic is with the new quarterback coach and whether that has any impact as well, because that quarterback, the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator need to sort of be your confidant, need to be somebody you can bounce something off of. And Brian Johnson was really good at that. And so I don't know that we should completely dismiss the fact that he's leaving. Now, granted, it's it's not a situation like LSU where, you know, Joe Brady leaves and everything falls apart for, for various reasons. But but I do think that it's a significant loss for Florida. There's a reason that he got hired into the NFL. It's because he's a really good coach. And I think um, one, I think pressure point overall, and Nick, you brought it up with transfers, and, and and all that. This is a big year for transfers. The two defensive tackle transfers that you brought in, dating back to last year, Lorenzo Lingard. We we need to see something from Lorenzo Lingard. Demarcus Bowman. Hopefully he's healthy coming out of spring. Five star running back. You got two five star running backs you're going to be looking at to make some mm-hmm. kind of impact. And given Dan Mullen's history, it you know that says okay, we should expect some of these transfers to contribute somewhat and probably pretty significantly on the offensive side of the ball with those two running backs, given Trevon Grimes and Ben Jefferson. But we, we, like you said, Nick, we saw what Jonathan Grenard, even in Adam Schuler, who was a very serviceable SEC defensive lineman uh, a few years ago that contributed very nicely for Florida. I mean, this is a big year for transfers in Dambo and Todd Ransom, two on the defensive tackle, and those two running backs. I mean, you go and look at it. We laud Dan Mullen for his work in the transfer portal, I think we're even, you know, this is going to be a big year, 2021, and and how much we put, we still put stock in the transfer portal. Yeah, Bowman and Lingard, you definitely want to see something from them this year. I know guys in year one, like Mullen, takes time to usually phase guys in. Uh, That's something you guys have definitely talked about a lot. Definitely, uh, that's definitely the pattern. But a guy who jumped in immediately last year along the offensive front there, Stuart Reese. Are we going to see a little bit uh, of improvement on that side right there? Uh, I mean, even – I mean, technically, Delance transferred from Texas too, right? So we, we see a lot of this roster impacted by it. But it's really about the transfers playing to the the level. If you're a five-star transfer, are you going to play like that five-star guy when you get in? I thought uh, Brent Cox is a, is a good case study where you definitely see the talent on the field. The guy gets off the line so fast. There's plays where he's in the backfield while it seems like people are still getting out of their stance. And, I mean, you've had, uh, I think, Todd McShay during one of the games would say, this guy's by far the best athlete on the field. And it's very clear, too. But you also see him kind of overrun plays at time. And you see you don't – it's it's not a total package just yet. So despite the talent, you're not necessarily getting that level of – five-star production and quality, if that makes sense there. But I, I'd like to see definitely that like a guy like uh, the, just everything come together a little more this year. But the, definitely I think the one guy, if you want to identify the, the uh, up front on the defensive side with Shelton and Newkirk coming in, let's hope that gets solidified because that was a huge problem last year. 
But Bowman on the offensive side of the ball, everything you read about the guy, I mean, I, let, let's hope we get to see a lot of Bowman early. And I'll preview it. I think we're going to do our um, our annual preseason magazine episode in a couple of weeks. But I've, I've picked them up, just been looking through them. The preseason magazines love then some Britton Cox. And I know Gator fans are kind of just ho-hum on Britton Cox. So he's done some good. Uh, but I still think we're waiting for that, you know, living up, like as you said, for these five-star transfers to live up to that five-star billing. Uh, but I tell you what, these these, these uh, preseason magazines are, uh, list him high up there in kind of SEC rankings, uh, surprisingly. So uh, he's getting a lot of love out there uh, outside uh, of Gator Nation. Justin well, Shorter's a guy yeah. I want to throw out there too. I, I did not mention I mean, Justin look. Shorter, but like, let's throw a guy we're, like we're, that out. What are we talking? We're talking what six, six, seven, yeah. eight transfers here that are going to be or need to be big time contributors for 2021 to be a success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, so when when you're talking about Cox, I think one of the things that I go back to is an article Bill Sykes wrote for Read Reaction a while back where he talked about clustering. And one of the things that maybe is a positive for the defense this year is that all the guys who are being picked for all SEC, all the guys who are going to be preseason all SEC are going to be guys like Kyrie Elam, guys like Brenton Cox, guys like Ventrell Miller. Um, pretty much everybody that you might think of is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. And Bill's point was that you need to cluster all SEC talent to really compete for an SEC title. But perhaps the benefit is, is with Mullen on the offensive side of the ball, if they're clustering the talent on the defensive side of the ball all at once, then maybe that's the case for having the having the year and then having having a good year and then and then the 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 offense will sort of take care of itself if he can figure out how to make DeMarcus Bowman into the star everybody thought he was going to be a year ago when he decided to go to Clemson and everybody was bummed out. So, I, you know, there's a path where this team, where the defense sort of clusters all those all-SEC guys together, get them to hit all at the same time. But to Nick's point, we haven't seen him hit yet, right? We've seen flashes from Gervon Dexter. We haven't seen him we haven't seen consistent consistency. Now, granted, he was a true freshman, but same thing with Brenton Cox, right? We've seen flashes, but we haven't see, seen him be a star consistently. Diabate, the same way. We've seen flashes. Bogle, we've seen flashes. Carter, we've seen flashes. A little bit more consistent from Carter, but still, it's been more flashes than it has been consistent down to down, constantly dominating. And that's going to be the question to me. On the defensive side of the ball, that's actually going to be the question for me on a lot of different places. Where there are guys who have shown flashes, but are they actually going to be able to be consistent all eleven, all twelve games? And are they going to be able to do the? Are they going to be able to use their athletic ability to succeed against the big boys when when you get a game against Alabama, game against Georgia, game against LSU? Good stuff, good stuff. I didn't even think about when we were thinking transfers about how many actually think Florida is going to rely on in twenty twenty one. That is a big. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a big number. Yeah, and, and, and again, so many of these guys, their talent is evident. It's clear to see why Justin Shorter was a five-star kid coming out, right? I mean, Cox and, and I mean, even Lingard had two carries against uh, a Vanderbilt, and I think Will's still talking about those carries right now, about <laughs> his explosiveness. I mean, the, 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 the talent is clear, but is it going to show up on that stat sheet? And like Will said, week in and week out against the big boys. That's what's going to matter. Absolutely. You you get all those five stars to show up in big games and a lot of them are transfers. So that's what we, uh, so we need to see in those big games for sure. Uh, last one here and kind of goes toward uh, Will's latest, that reading reaction that uh, got ratioed on Twitter as real, uh, as Will said. So uh, we'll get into that and 
all offensive line development has been a big, big topic uh, these last couple of years after a pretty good 2018 where I'd say the offensive line was actually a pretty good strength for this Florida team, at least toward the end of the year. That offensive line to me was a strength. We have not seen 2018 be used as a springboard for the offensive line. Uh, and some A change in offense can be contributed to that a little bit uh, as well, but uh, the development there and lack of recruiting, you've had some guys – Signed, never even show up to campus, never even play it down for Florida. That uh, needs to be looked at, but we're looking strictly on the field right now and just a lack of development. And I know, and when we brought this up plenty of times, I know, Nick, when you were on the first time, we hope, we hope this shift in the offensive philosophy, more of a, of a run style attack, it suits a player like Gene DeLance. It suits a player like Stuart Reese, who played in a, what, what we think is going to look like a Mississippi State similar offense and, and an offense that he played in uh, under Dan Mullen early in his career. We hope it suits uh, players like that. But Florida, and Nick, and you pointed to it, Florida's really young uh, along the offensive line. Uh, you have some experienced players, but pretty young overall there on the offensive line. And, Will, when you look at it, man, I mean, John Hevesy, two years now, he he's gotten – a reputation for being able to develop, maybe dating back to his Mississippi State days, but these last two years has has hasn't really shown a lot of promise in, in in this offensive line becoming the strength for this Gators team again. And maybe maybe the shift in offensive philosophy will help this group. Yeah, I mean that was sort of the point of the article. I appreciate you mentioning that. Lots of people retweeted it on Twitter. I'm not sure they actually read the article. They were just they just saw the headline where I said Delance might be the strength of the offensive line and said, "Well, that's a problem. Uh, I'm not going to read it." But look, look, here's the deal. I mean, the guy was the 117th overall recruit in the class of 2016. You don't get rated that high as an offensive lineman without having reasonable amounts of talent. Now that talent hasn't necessarily translated yet, especially in pass protection. But when you go back and you look, you can actually see improvement in pass protection throughout the year um, I think he got injured about halfway through the year because you can start to see his athleticism sort of wane and then the other thing is is when you really actually start looking at the numbers so um, SEC StatCat has a great way to break these things down but if you look at inside left Florida averaged 3.8 yards per carry. They averaged 4.5 yards per carry inside right. And when you got to third down, inside left, 3.8 yards per carry, 4.9 inside right. So when they ran behind Delance, they were able to get almost a yard, more than a yard more per play. You saw it against Georgia. There were a bunch of short yardage plays where they ran directly behind Delance. And the other thing is, is with a right-handed quarterback, oftentimes you run that read option with the running back going to the left anyway, and then the quarterback comes back to the right. Well, last year, that quarterback coming back to the right was Kyle Trask. He wasn't really a threat to take it to the house. This year, the guy, the quarterback coming back to the right is going to be Emory Jones, and he is a threat to take it to the house. And I do think that Delance's strength is clearly being a road grader and being a guy who's used to run to help run the ball. But Florida only ran the ball 40% of the time last year. And if you go back to 2018 and look at what they did with Felipe Franks, a quarterback, they ran the ball like 58% of the time. And so if they do that, they're going to be playing to the strengths of a guy like Delance, somebody who does seem to be a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker, at least for last year. Um, Again, I think he's going to have to improve in pass blocking. I think we maybe underrate the fact that the offensive line with Reese and DeLance over there on the right-hand side didn't have a spring practice to sort of get used to each other. Um, you had Ethan White go out early in fall camp, which meant they had to juggle guys around, bring Heggie to center, even though he was going to play guard. And then he had Garage come in at guard. So they had a bunch of things changing on the offensive line there in the fall. And then you had the COVID 
the COVID outbreak with Texas A&M. And I'm, I'll tell you, I had it three months ago. I still don't feel right. And I, and I, I don't want to use that as an excuse, but I do think that sometimes we don't necessarily take that into account when we look at how these guys played. So um, was DeLance great last year? No. Do I think he's going to get drafted high in the NFL next year? No, I don't. But I think he's a decent right tackle when you put him in the right scheme and I think that Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony dictated that they wound up having to put DeLance in the wrong scheme. I think Emory Jones, Demarcus Bowman, Lorenzo Lingard, Malik Davis are probably going to dictate that um, they're in a scheme that's much more, much more built around the types of things that DeLance and Reese do well. Do well. Nick, is it? Uh, could it be? I don't know. I mean. I, I hate calling for coaches' heads. That's just something I, I don't like doing here. But would it be time if we see a 2019-2020 offensive line performance, would would it be time to move on from John Hennessy? Well, I, I think it's he's a, he's a guy that was with Meyer and stayed with Mullen throughout uh, a lot of his career here. Um, you know, I, I, I really – it's it's the answer is it depends. I mean, it, it really depends on – what type of development we're seeing out of younger guys too? Because I mean, like, I mean, if, if Delance continues to struggle, but someone like uh, Garage steps in, it looks brilliant. How do you evaluate that? So Ethan White does he is he going to stay? Our guys staying healthy? Uh, you know, who's taking over? Do we hundred percent know who's taking over at center just yet? Uh, How does Braun look coming in? And really, as long as you have faith that he can continue to develop these young guys, and maybe that's an area of, of that we need to work on in the recruiting cycle too, in terms of getting top tier talent. I know uh, uh, Will and I, we were talking in a couple weeks ago and we're pointing out, I pointed out that since 2013, Alabama has had six offensive linemen and I, I pick Alabama because they're the gold standard, right? Like six offensive linemen drafted in the first round, Florida, you have to go back to Mo Collins in the 1998 NFL draft. Like I was like the 24, fourth pick to the Raiders or something like that. But 1998 NFL draft with Mo Collins for the fifth Florida offensive lineman who was drafted. If you count backwards, five Florida offensive linemen who were drafted in the first round. So we're putting out defensive linemen in the first round, but we're not putting out that we're not getting those elite offensive line talent. So unless we've had a problem developing offensive line talent for the last 20 plus years, that's not really John on John Hevesy. I don't know if it's been, if we're a program where we just focus more on, on getting the guy, the skill guys and the quarterbacks and everything, but it's definitely an area where you got to put some focus on. And if you don't feel like Hevesy is that guy that can get the job done, then obviously you move forward. But I think he's had a, a job for a long time with some great coaches. So I, I, I'd say I'd be a little patient with him, give him a chance to continue to develop this group. But yeah, you're certainly right. If you see uh, the type, you know, the type of struggles and lack of development uh, continue that we've seen this to this point. I, I don't know how, how much it's Hevesy's fault though, that there's injuries along the line with some of these guys. So let, let's see these young guys get in and see how they perform. I'm particularly looking forward to, to uh, white and uh, Braun this year. De- definitely want to see if those guys can uh, pop a little bit. So if he's not getting rid of Grantham, he's not going to get rid of Hevesy. 
I mean, out of all the relationships and sort of the yeah. the loyalty and how much he likes the different coaches that he's at and how much he respects them. I mean, you know, Grantham came, what, in 2017 to Mississippi State and was able to survive 2020. So Havasey's got a track record that stretches back two decades with Mullen. He, he's not going anywhere unless it's just an absolute catastrophe. And even in that case, I think he'd be probably be given another year. I mean, that's another yeah. you know, look looking at Hevesy, looking at you know, and, and Gonzalez, you know, I don't bring him up to say he should be thrown into that category, but he is in the the buddy buddy system uh with, with Mullen, but he's more than proven his worth to be uh, a mainstay uh, on this coaching staff. But you know, that is a, a, a critique of Mullen is just being too friendly to too buddy buddy with, with with staff members and and not making the move. And we hope that's uh, not a too little, too late kind of thing, you know, and, and that, that happens to coaches sometimes that they hang on to their assistance too late. Uh, and I do think, you know, with another subpar performance in, in, in 2021 with this offensive line, you really have to sit down and, and see what, what the issues are. Can it get any better? But kind of going to Will's point, I didn't really think about it that way. Yeah, if you're not firing Grantham after 2020, what – in the world is going to make you get rid of Hennessy. <laughs> if I mean, if the offensive line is not going to be any worse than what the 2020 defense was. Uh, and, you know, if, if you want to compare it that way, Hennessy is going to be around here for at least a few more seasons. I just, I, do, do you feel like Mullen thinks he can coach around that too? Because I, I, the, the game I go to in my memory yeah. is the 2018 game in Starkville. You remember how many that that defensive front that Mississippi State had coming into that game, and you're just like worried. I I was worried we were going to get chewed up by that front, and I think they, would they have two first round draft picks off that front? Uh, and, and I mean, just uh, Simmons and uh, uh, who ended up in sweat. Washington? I'm like, yeah, sweat, sweat, yeah, fantastic group at Mississippi State, and, and of course Mullen knew them intimately because it was his first year in Gainesville. How many bubble screens did we see throughout that game? That, I mean, that was a crazy – I mean, I feel like Mullen just thinks he can coach around it to, to an extent, too, and to an extent, he can. <laughs> maybe maybe not against the Alabamas of the world, but he can get the job done on most Saturdays. Uh, the other thing is, what are you trying to improve? And and I hear a lot of people talk about not seeing improvement on the offensive line, and then they immediately go to recruiting. But, you know, programs like Alabama churn through assistance and the recruiting's still awesome. Programs mm-hmm. like Georgia churn through churn through assistance and the recruiting's still awesome. Programs like Ohio State up in, uh, under Urban Meyer churn through assistance and the, and the and the recruiting was still awesome. So I, I think at the end of the day, the recruiting aspect of this is really on Mullen. Like the head guy sets the tone for recruiting. And for the most part, you get these guys, you know, Saban was a great recruiter at LSU, leaves for the NFL, comes back, and a lot of the guys on that LSU staff had become head coaches by the time he comes back to Alabama, guys he's competing against, and he still whips them on the recruiting trail. And so, um, you know, I, I think what you want to do is make sure you're evaluating Havasi on the improvement you see for the offensive line on the field. Because at the end of the day, I don't think the recruiting is going to get better or at least significantly better by bringing in a different offensive line coach. I think the the only reason you would make a change is if you thought that the guys weren't developing the way that you think they should. And everybody was going to get a pass after the COVID year, I think, which is, again, maybe that's the reason the difference between, you know, holding on to Grantham and potentially making a change. But we're also talking about making a change for, We've even played the season 
And I actually do anticipate that the Florida offensive line is going to be better this year. I think it's going to be better because it's going to be guys who've had a full spring, a full offseason with Nick Savage, a full fall camp where they can really identify not just the top five guys, but they can identify the top seven or eight guys. And when somebody makes a mistake, like that game against Tennessee where Delance didn't move <laughs> at the snap and the defensive end whips around the corner and drills the quarterback, like – and and even to a lesser extent, and this is an offensive line play, but you know the the shoe throwing incident against LSU, where Marco's still out there in the next play, like that, the inability to take guys off the field when they made mistakes last year was glaring. And you know, I think there's a perception that that was because guys weren't being held accountable. But I think one of the reasons they weren't being held accountable is because there wasn't another guy to put in behind them. So that excuse is gone now, right? We need to see that development, need to see those guys get better. I think we're going to. I think Braun is going to be a pretty good player. I think Delance is going to be better this year. I think Reese is going to be better in his second year in the system. I think Garage is going to be better. And then the question, and then you've got maybe one spot. Is that Ethan White who's playing left guard? Is there somebody else, Michael Tarquin, somebody like that who can step in and and fill one of those holes? Or maybe it's something where you start rotating guys in and sort of see by the end of the USF game who you want to go with against Alabama. Um, I hope they sort of have it set early in the year and that we've got consistent offensive line play, but there may be a little bit of rotation because they are replacing a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, that was something that we said going into um, when we all three got together right after the season. I was like, I expect the offensive line to be better because of mm-hmm. a transition in offense. And, and I'll stand by that, too. I, I do think they will be better. I mean, just look at Emory Jones and his running success last year. When look, we didn't, ex- The offensive line was the same offensive line. Emory Jones still runs for almost seven yards a carry. I know we could probably make too much of that, uh, but – it was inconsistent pretty much throughout the whole year. And don't get me wrong, some of that's Emory Jones and his slipperiness and being able to find the hole and and, and put a foot down and, and run north and south. Uh, but I also think, you know, that helps the offensive line in general too uh, when it's all said and done. So, guys, uh, yeah, that was uh, so, so some good stuff kind of dating back to when we first got together about this offensive line. <laughs> well, it turns out when you don't have a spring game, that all that all you have to talk about is all the same stuff um, where, where, you know, I mean, that, that's the reality is it's just one of those things where, you know, we haven't seen them out there. And I think we all have an idea of what we hope to see and what we, uh, you know, what we anticipate might happen. But that's one of the beauties of this fall camp that's coming up is I think we'll get a lot more answers as we sort of as the the wrapping paper is taken off of our christmas gifts as the real season starts there in in august and then in september when we're able to able to fully pack the pack the swamp and really enjoy it this year as opposed to last year yeah some other sec teams had uh spring games uh and they got to see their team i'm hoping we've had them before i'm hoping mullen opens open some practices uh come come uh come this fall and we get to see a little bit uh there but of course we won't really we won't really know much until uh, until uh, week three, Alabama rolls into town. We'll get a lot of answers then, but, uh, you know, those first two games will be fun. I think we'll, 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 we'll see enough to, to make some summaries until uh, till Alabama rolls into town. I, I just – God help the defense and Todd Grantham those first two weeks so that there's a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit of positivity heading into that Bama game. Cause I'll say if we go into USF, they, they had a horrible record last year with Jeff Scott, the, the OC from Clemson coming down to Tampa, but they put up some points late. They pushed Memphis. who's a solid team in the American conference and, and then uh, American athletic. And then UCF, they scored a ton of points on too. So if they, if they have like a, 
type of first half where it's a sleepy noon kickoff or something, and they they put together a couple nice drives before we wake up. Whew, that's going to be a lot of noise heading into that Bama game. But I, ho- I hope it's two uh, two games where the defense completely shuts down a couple of in-state uh, rivals, and uh, and we we got a lot of confidence heading into Bama. Can you imagine the level of noise if Florida gives up like thirty-five points to USF? That, that's oh really- my goodness. <laughs> We're heading into the season with such angst already. I was telling Will, like, we need to have, like, there needs to be some kind of ceremony or something, like, where we just, like, throw a shoe into the ocean to get over the end of last year and just put (laughs) the emotions of last year behind us and just focus. This is a fresh year, new players, new year. Let's go. It's a totally different team from last year. Let's not carry those last three games. I think even you called it a disappointing season at the beginning of the episode, David, 2020. The end of the season was disappointing. The season itself was a lot of fun, though, leading up to it. I mean, I mean A&M I was frustrating. Yeah, yeah. The end the end was super disappointing, but the, the season itself was – that was a fun team to watch last year. And, uh, man, I hope really? I hope we have some good good energy heading into that Bama game because we're going to need it. We're going to need it for sure. Yep, yep. If you guys missed that, what, 3.30 kickoff for Bama, 3.30 kickoff for Georgia – 7.30 kickoff for the season opener versus FAU and a noon kickoff the week before Bama in Tampa versus USF. That's going to be a hot one. Hot. <laughs> Are they going to be allowed to shoot off the pirate ship? I mean, Does if, if we that? have an option. I, I don't think so. But if we have an option, we should tell them no like the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl. Say no. <laughs> <laughs> Only if we get it for our scores. Hi guys, uh, what you got? What, what you guys got coming up? Yeah, so Nick and I have been doing this show now. It's called Stand Up and Holler. Um, it's sort of a PTI based, uh, or at least it's based roughly around that. Where you know we got four Heavily. four four segments that are two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar. Sort of go back and forth about different things in Gator Nation. So if you go to the Read and Reaction YouTube channel, you can check that out. And then obviously, Dave, you mentioned the article that I put up there today, and uh, still still pumping those out. Hopefully, about once a week now until the season starts. How about you, Nick. Yep, I, I like Will said, stand up and holler, subscribe to the – we're trying to build up that Read and Reaction YouTube channel. So I know the site's been mostly all, all writing up until recently, but we're going to try to expand on the digital side too here. Uh, and then uh, American Football Stories. Check out the American Football Stories podcast. We're on YouTube, and uh, we cover more of uh, foot, college football on a national scene. But uh, we'll certainly be doing a little bit uh, – I know we're going to do a little bit of uh, recruiting stuff with Will and with Read and Reaction, but – We'll, we'll announce a little more on that at a later time. Sounds good. Sounds good. So for Will and Nick, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.